Welcome to the Next Issue Podcast. We're a group of friends that love talking comics and all that it entails. Uh, we're based out of Dallas, so you'll hear us talk about how these comics make up a part of our daily lives, including our local comic shop, conventions, and other forms of entertainment. Welcome. We haven't had a show in a little while, so. But today you get a three-man podcast. Uh, Daniel here. We uh, have got Josh here. Clay here. All right. Uh, so our co-hosts Adrian and Kyle. Uh, we wish them a happy new year, but they'll be back as soon as they can. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about just some 2019 stuff. Catch up on what we've been reading. Uh, some current news and stuff like that. So we'll just you know we'll go from there. So, Clay, you want to start? I know you had a topic in mind, kind of. Yeah, I uh, I, I finished out the year with uh, actually a Christmas gift to myself. It was the Omnibus Volume 8 of The Walking Dead. And knowing that the series had ended this year, I was really curious about the Omnibus because I kind of felt like, well, with the timing and everything, this actually will put it at 8, and there'll be, like, I guess a 8.5 book that will finish it, but this one actually completed the entire story. So... If you buy the eight omnibuses, you get the entire Walking Dead series. And to me, it's been the best way to read it. It has everything in it. It's a nice slipcase. Everything about it's great. I'll, uh, I'll post a picture in my Twitter feed of it. But um, I sat down that day and just read the whole book. I didn't even stop. And even Shelby just kind of left me alone. And I just laid on the couch and read the entire thing just so I could get the uh, last bit of the Grimes family. How many how many issues are on uh, on an omnibus like that? Do you know about how many? I think it's four graphic novels. Okay, because uh, it comes out and every after each six, so like twenty four issues. I think so. Okay, because it comes out every two years. That would make sense then if it's twenty four. If they yeah. if they stick to a monthly and uh, this schedule. one was very prepared because it had the last issue. It had the additional. Um, previews uh covers that they had done oh. to tease that the story was still ongoing um <clears throat> i don't know you know i'd read a couple of things about the way it was going to end and some ideas but um i, I just like the story i like the world mm-hmm. i think that's the thing i like i like going in that world because it is messed up and there are characters in there i like even though the tv show has kind of distorted them uh, somewhat, I, I really enjoy Rick. I mean, Rick is a great character in the book. I mean, Rick is a guy who does what he says. I mean, it's really, you know, in Michelle, like there's just so many characters I just kind of want to revisit that are so much fun. Um, but it was weird finishing it because at one point I was kind of like, well, this kind of sucks. And Shelby goes, what? And I go, well, they're kind of doing real world stuff and I don't give a shit about a court case and this. Uh, and I'm like, you know, they're trying to build society and I know that's, that's where he was headed, but then it takes a turn and makes everything better. Okay. So did it feel, cause you know, the, the, uh, and, and let me preface this by saying that I've only read the first volume of walking dead, but the, the news, the comic series was ending was so sudden and yeah. unexpected and shocking did the end of the comic feel justified? Did it feel like it had been thought out, or was it just like, we just need to wrap this up? 
both. Okay. There, there's an element of the story you get with Carl that this is where he was going, this is, this is what he needed, but you get the element that it was rushed in the way they get there. Like, um, I guess I can go ahead and just say spoilers for the book. Yeah, yeah, we're going to discuss. I mean, the, yeah, sure, it's been ahead. out since July. Yeah, I, I so. mean, so. It was July? Yeah. Damn. So, what originally I'd read was that um, the the author's name. Oh, Kirkman. Kirkman. Kirkman, Kirkman wanted to, he had, he had come up with an ending that was going to be like, you know, this really good. Rick ending. Mm. Rick was going to kind of save the world and everyone, and we're going to build this statue to him, and he was going to end the book with showing society collapsing again, the rise of the zombies, the collapse. You like, And it felt very like, well, yeah, Rick did this for these guys, but it kind of doesn't matter in the long run. And so he felt that it was very empty. It's kind of like the Dark Knight Rises ending, but instead of uh, Alfred seeing him in the coffee shop, like somebody finds uh, his body, and they're like, oh, he did die? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know how to describe Rick's death in the book, but it just, it comes from a weird place. So it's really tough to go, okay, well, I guess this is the end of the book. I mean, you just, his hero kind of goes out like a bitch. He, he dies mm. in 192, which is the penultimate issue. Yeah. And, and I think that's what people were like, well, where's this story going now? Yeah, I mean, I love that world. I mean, I love the TV version. I mean, there's a lot of I, the King. I'm a big fan of the King. <laughs> I, I I just Ezekiel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's cool. Um, you know, and there's so sometimes it's like I want those characters to have a little more, a little different. It's like fun to see the King interact with Carol and have that relationship that's not in the book. And um, but. Now that they're stripping it away, I, I like it. Uh, as a comic reader, I'm sad because that is one of the best post-apocalyptic stories done. Yeah. I mean, nobody has really done the post-zombie story. Everyone leads up to it, and pretty much you're, there's no happy ending to any of those. You're always screwed, but you have to get there to realize we're screwing the world, and that's how we're going to get there. So I got the issue pulled up here, and at the back of 193 which is extra large uh, issue. Uh, there's a letter from Kirkman to, to, the, you know, to the readers. And I'll just read a little bit because I think it really kind of gives <coughs> you his mindset and kind of how he came to this decision. Uh, so, quote, The Walking Dead has always been built on surprise, not knowing what's going to happen when you turn the page, who's going to die, how they're going to die. It's been essential to the success of the series. It's been the lifeblood that's been keeping it going all these years, keeping people engaged. It just felt wrong and against the very nature of the series not to make the actual end the surprising with all the big deaths uh, from, spoilers, Shane all the way to Rick. <laughs> um, to be honest, it seemed like a very good idea at the time, but now that we're here and the series is over, I'm having second thoughts. <laughs> not, not so much that I'm changing course. That would be kind of impossible to do anyway, but it is possible. As much as I hate to admit it, that I'm genuinely feeling a sense of regret over this whole crazy plan. So... You know, Kirkman is conflicted about just, the, I think, the the ending as a whole. Like, you know, it it maybe seems, it seems like it kind of got out of hand, maybe out of his control. He, mm. He's definitely doing a lot, a lot of good stuff, too. Like, you know, 
whatever you may think about the ongoing Walking Dead show and like all, I think his success has really been kind yeah. of a curse. It, it's a double-edged sword for sure. Yeah, I so here's my hot take, and like all good hot takes, it is based on a severe lack of knowledge. <laughs> but um, I, you know, we, we had two really big things this year that I think showed when when transferring one medium into another medium how it can affect everything right so one would be the walking dead right. and i think what makes me really sad about the decision by kirkman and even there where he, you know he says i'm starting to have these regrets is if you step back a bit there is this sense that well it doesn't need to be a comic it's better as a tv series but it began as a comic and it's almost yeah. like he just doesn't he, he no longer wants to commit to it in that format that art form right then think about game of thrones and game of thrones was a rollicking success as a tv series but was already a pretty successful set of novels and the tv producers decided as far as i understand it they decided let's in let's in the series uh we're well beyond everything that martin has written Let's just wrap it up on our own, right? Fans hated it. And what does Martin do? He's continuing to write the books. He's not giving up yeah. on um, on the format that it began in, right? So to a certain degree for Martin, they exist in two separate media, two yeah. separate art forms, two separate universes now, right? right. Um, it seems like Kirkman just didn't want to, and, and again, I'm sure he has pulled in a thousand different directions, right? Between writing the comic, pro he produces... Well, he, not only that, he's CEO at Image Comics. Yeah. Is like, he really? Yeah. Oh, I did not realize that. I, I didn't know that either until I was reading a comic this week. I was looking at the credits, and I saw his name, because they give you... It's, yeah. It's an Image Top Cow comic, so yeah. they give you everybody's executive position. And I was like, holy shit, after all that he's doing, he's still also, like, which I think it's, it's really cool because The Walking Dead kind of gave a, a second life, yeah. maybe, to Image Comics. Yeah. No, I mean, that um, was of that. I, I, I think, and again, I think I'm speaking out of turn. <laughs> this Do is it, my hot take. What, yeah. I think I you heard had, my hot take based I, on I, nothing. <laughs> I think I'd read that they had given him that position because uh, at one point he was looking to take his titles elsewhere oh. and that would have solidified image. I mean, take, take all his, how many books does he have there? Uh, I, I know at least oblivion song, oblivion song, die, walking die, dead. die, 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 walking dead. Um, the one that just finished too, invincible. I think it was finished in 2019. Uh, Invincible, I think, is his next book that's going to be made into. Uh, I thought it had been already optioned. I think it had been optioned, but it, I think they're actually it's animated. Some, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. is it? Okay, yeah. so they're he, not doing it. Didn't like he that. also have uh, with Phil Hester Fire Breather? Wasn't that? I know there's a fire there's, something. There's book a fire out breather. Soon. Well, this was an old book, and it was a. Oh, yeah. Is it, is it pre Walking Dead? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I. Th but it's weird because you know he. I hate to say that success in comics is movies and TV. Right, exactly. But if you're writing The Walking Dead, and that is fun, but you're making millions on a show, yeah, you lean towards the money, th I guess. I yeah. mean, I, I would want to end a book, though, that I really... I mean, it really was a thing of love, because he goes, I love zombie movies, I always wanted to know what happened next, and this is that book. Yeah. I'm sure it's, it's tough to make that decision as an artist between 
success in your art. Right. Um, you know. It, it just, I, I guess I, I tend to bristle at these kind of things because as someone, you know, in my, my research, I'm focusing more and more on, from an art historical perspective, what makes comics a unique art form. And that's certainly in the scholarship has been coming up more and more. Um, the the old, I mean, if you read books on comics from the 70s, 80s, you know, it, it's often like comics are just a, a poor man's film, right? It's like it's, it's storyboarding. But it's more than that. It's always been more than that. And that, that that's why this kind of, and, and again, I don't want to throw Kirkman under the bus. I, he must be just so overwhelming. He just, he had to cut something somewhere. But to me, as a fan of comics, it feels like comics aren't good enough. You know, yeah. it's like, let's keep the show going and not the comic. I will, as we say that, I yeah. know that this week they released news about him doing an original graphic novel with Chris Samney called Firepower. And oh, I'm, maybe that's the fire one you're I'm, thinking of. I'm very much looking forward to that. Well, that I art. love Chris, Chris Samney. Samney. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'll, I'll read anything. He's yeah. he's like Mike Allred. I don't care what Allred does. I'll read it. But so. it, it, it's cool because it's, I think... I think original graphic novels that contained or miniseries, which it's starting to become kind of my favorite thing to pick up. I love ongoings. I think ongoings are great. Yeah. But they're obviously a lot more, they're harder to keep up with. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you pick up a book that's four, five, six issues or whatever, even 12, as yeah. like Mr. Miracle or something like that, uh, like you get a whole story, you get a changing team, um, which is, is it's cool because that's kind of what reading uh, Tom King's Batman felt like because of the rotating cast of artists, uh, the different arcs, like he would take a, like, there'd be a lot of interludes in the story. Uh, like when we go back, we'd go to a different story, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's it's definitely, and I, I guess just a quick question and maybe a slight tangent, since you you said you're, you know, your art history research, oh, mm -hmm. at what point do kind of comics become part of that research to where it informs your or, I mean, I, I don't know if that's something you're focusing on, or maybe there's other people that actually yeah, yeah. focus solely on, like, the history of art comics. I think that'd be fun to discuss. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting because one of, uh, this is going to go way too into the weeds, so sorry, but um, there's a new... We, we live in the weeds. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> um, is, the, is the guy back with the weed whacker? Um, we, uh, <laughs> we, we had, um, there, there's a new scholarly organization called the Comic Studies Society and they uh, they'll be having their third annual conference this summer but I was at the first conference two years ago and the panel I proposed that got accepted that I ran was about effectively wh why doesn't art history include comics it still doesn't there is if you look at a lot of art history survey books if you look at a lot of even art historians practicing if you look at the big art and art history conference CAA that happens every year there's a paucity of comic papers and discussion and I think this is because art history is very late to the game and considering comics a you know a, 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 a visual art form um, well, why, why do you think that because it's very commercial it that's part of it this is going to sound snotty of me to say, I think that there is still, in the art world, there is still a sense of high art and low art. And again, that's, yeah. been, that's been changing over the past 
20, 30 years, but it's still there. Now, when you say high art, does that mean like monetary value of the art? Uh, it can be monetary value, but also it's perception. Because right? I don't know if they've seen the prices that some of these books and original art uh, yeah. carry. Well, and so and so that's why, you know, when you look at the auction houses that specialize in comic and animation art, it's not Sotheby's. It's not, you know, the, these these auction houses that specialize in quote unquote fine art. It is those that specialize in coin collecting, collectibles these sorts of things right um i just i think that art historians still have a sense of we study art you know with a capital a and comics isn't it and i think it's because a lot of them don't read comics now again this is changing but when i put together i, I was really surprised when i put this panel together we we had a huge crowd i mean the room we were in was at capacity and everyone was just kind of like, yeah, like, I mean, a good portion of them were art historians. Like, we are art historians. We study comics, and we feel like outsiders in did, our... Did you thank uh, Marvel and Kevin Feige for the, the crowd? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, unfortunately. So, um, it, it's just, it's a weird thing. But, um, I've, I, you know, what, what kind of spurred this panel was the fact that if you look at a lot of scholars working on comics, the majority of them, come from English departments. And they tend to interpret comics as narrative, not Art. visual. Oh, I see. Right? Now, I mean, they still understand it's a visual medium. Right. I'm not dismissing that. But I've read work by some of them, and they, will off, they tend to focus on text and narrative, right? Um, and so I, what, partly what I'm trying to do is get more and more art historians to kind of think about comics as a visual art form because we will bring other perceptions to that study than just text yeah. and narrative. Well, and, and I think it, it, that's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think a lot of people uh, that read comic books, they still only read them because they want to read the words on them. Right. And the mm. story, uh, the, the, you know, the, the pictures are like, kind of second fiddle to all yeah. that because they just want to know what's happening next yeah which is a fair critique i think it makes it makes sense but uh you know somebody that kind of engages on all that stuff there's people that I, like i've reread books solely to just look at the art again yeah i've, I've done that too i've i yeah. and i keep i keep uh bringing up that i want if you're going to give me a digital uh, book let me take the word balloons away in the digital copy just so i can that is an interesting idea. Let me, that let is me figure really out how much of the story can I get just based on the art. Right. Wow. Right. Well, and there are examples of that. Um, Jaime Hernandez's uh, uh, reptile. Fl there's fl a flies on the ceiling. Oh, okay. Uh, there's there a reptiles book that's like there's no words in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a dark horse book. I Age of so. Reptiles. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. yeah, I know that one. Yeah. I think we talked about it in the comic book club about. Uh, it came up. I don't think we read it. But. Yeah. No. Because I've I've bought that for kids because that's the you best don't have to be able to, yeah, yeah it's the best introduction you just have to go you know hey there's some animal violence in it <laughs> but that's about it um, yeah it's I, I don't know it's fascinating and, and I think we, this discussion could kind of be maybe its own mini episode or something so maybe oh, sure. we'll, we'll revisit this but I wanted to touch on it because I think I think it's important that we recognize comics as a collaborative medium yes uh, there was a the tweet this week from Jonathan Hickman where he was joking about making Rod Reese draw the whole issue in two days and then that sparked a bunch of conversations. I saw that. Um, which, 
well, you know, first of all, if Rod Reeves wasn't in the joke, I guess you know it's funny, but it's it's funny, but it's not funny. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, it's it's something that comics deal with in terms of delays, right. but you don't want to put it on someone well, when it's really your fault. Well, and it's and it's it's the difference between if if it's an in joke between Rod Reese and Hickman and he's making that public, right? Like if Rod Reese is like, "Oh yeah, I, I did it for him or whatever," right? That's one thing, but when you're someone of Hickman's stature and you're saying that, then younger writers may look and go, "Oh, I guess it is okay for me to press my artist to get stuff done faster, right?" Yeah, yeah. And and so th- there there's a there's a spillover effect. I think he's not thinking of when he says stuff like that. Of course. So. And and I don't Twitter's I mean, the best place to be misunderstood. <laughs> yeah, well, true. Yeah, because there's no, you know, you got 280 characters and to convey a whole thought, but you can't really convey like tone and feeling and all that. Yeah. Emojis only get you so far. Gives only get you so far. <laughs> <laughs> um but I think I knew I think that's important. I think uh, I was listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast, which is another podcast I listen to, and they kind of address some of this. Listen stuff. to us first. I, I always do. We just no, haven't. Oh had no, no, no! Oh, I was yeah. uh, to to our to, audience, to the listeners. Not, not you. You okay. can. You're you're here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so they had a sim- not a similar conversation, but a conversation about you know that kind of stuff of like how people read comics and what they get out of the art. Yeah. So I think it'd be, it'd be maybe fun if you still have that presentation you gave. Maybe we can kind of go over that as oh a mini sode. Yeah, sure. Oh. I, I still have it. Um, I, You know, what you said I find so interesting is it's like to the people, I guess, perhaps who feel that way. Like, I just, I'm just going to blaze through the comics, see what's happening in the story. Like, I'm going to watch my soap opera, right? Yeah. Just to, I would say then just get the script and read it and see if it's the same experience. Mm. Right. If you just want to know what's happening in the story and you are feeling like I don't need the pictures, I just want the words, then read the script and see if you enjoy it as much. I think you could tell but certain authors. Yeah. I think a Claremont book may come across yep. without some visuals. Yep, I think you're right. I, I think a more, weirdly but, enough, I think a more book is he thinks visually when he writes his scripts. But those... Those words come from the pictures yeah. that John Byrne did. So right, really, right. when you have that debate and you talk the Marvel way, it's yeah. art influencing dialogue. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'll let uh, this. This is a perfect spot for Clay to plug in his uh, mandatory Vision uh, hardcover. Oh, <laughs> that yes, <laughs> that includes scripts and uh, everything. I, hey, if if you love to get a DVD and you go through the special features before you watch the movie, that's yeah. I'm that guy. Yeah. I went through. Uh, I'm going through all my special features on my Planet of the Apes. So. Those are so good. I, is it the the broken up documentary? Yeah, yeah. I, I I watched all those when I watched all the films. They're so good. Well, what's and even two of the films have unrated editions. So it's like yeah, you could that's watch. right. Which I didn't realize that I watched the unrated version of the fourth film until I watched the documentary afterwards and they're like, well, here's the theatrical ending. I'm like, I didn't see that. Yeah. I saw some really gruesome shit. Like what? <laughs> oh, sorry. I, no, I just, I, I love the special features of stuff. I love seeing how it's made, where where the idea came from. Um, and, and and it's weird because in comics, you take that idea and you, you throw it into a pool with a bunch of other stuff. So everything that's in vision is... I'm thinking we're going to see in the Scarlet Witch show, the uh, mm. WandaVision. Uh, and surprise, it's, it's going to be out this year. 
Well, so I guess to throw some news in, news yeah, came sure. out this week that the director of the uh, Doctor Strange sequel was let go for Scott Derrickson? creative differences. And I was reading an article, I forget where, so my apologies. It may have been screened. On the internet. Yeah, on the internet. You know, that sourced the internet. Uh, so easy to find things. Um, where they were saying that it looks like the Doctor Strange sequel is going to be an interesting film because it is very clearly going to try and tie into the T, you know, to link the film universe with the TV universe. And so it's, it's trying to do a lot of these things. Uh, And maybe that's where the creative differences came apart was I know Derrickson wanted to make a hardcore horror film. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why he left because I don't think this is going to be hardcore. Yeah. This is not for... Feige even said it was like it was going to have horror elements or something. I'm not sure. But horror elements for Disney. I know, exactly. Though, I will tell you, on Disney Plus, we watched Return to Oz. Oh, I know. That movie is terrifying. I have never seen that. I saw that that in the theater when I was a kid and had nightmares for weeks. That is some dark stuff. Yeah. It starts off in an insane asylum. I know. It's like like sucker punch for kids. (laughs) And that shouldn't exist. No. I mean, that was, okay. Oh, God. I I go on this rant way too often. That was the beautiful thing about the 80s. 80s kids' films? Terrifying. You watch them today. So over Christmas, we introduced our daughter to Gremlins. Oh, awesome. And I, I will say it didn't hold up as well as Jen and I remembered, my oh. my wife. It was still good. I mean, we had a fun time. You, but It's I, not Christmas until Dick Miller yeah, <laughs> starts yeah, yelling yeah. about his Kentucky Harvester. Yeah, I know, I know. But we genuinely forgot how much of straight-up horror film that is. I mean, it is a horror film. There's body horror, you know, with the things popping off, and, oh, man, it was was so good. Uh, So I I just Googled it real quick. Uh, So, yeah, Return to Oz came out in 1985, and there's a pumpkin character that looks terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And his body comes apart, and she has to put it together over and over again. So here's the thing about Return to Oz, and and I've been meaning to rewatch it on Disney+, Plus because... I saw it was on there. Do you remember maybe in the early 2000s when sci-fi did that? It was like the dark adult remake of Oz with... uh, Tin Man? Yes. Yeah. Zoe Chanel. Yes. Return to Oz is what Tin Man should have been, right? It is this this truly, like, dark, twisted, uh, very gritty-looking... It's a gritty-looking film. It never has that polish of, of the original Oz that I recall. Yeah, and then they really should clean it up because oh, the cut that's bad? on there is really bad. And there's the reason I watch it is there's just a lot of fans. I love hearing from yeah. people who go, oh, yeah, it's really dark. And, and so when I finally got to watch it, I was really I, – I was into a couple of things. I love seeing, like, the artwork, the characters, the, the TikTok. But those choices – it's weird to take the choices of the first film and look at this one because you go, oh, all those characters uh, in the first one that were played by people and animated and could show expression are now like puppets that don't really have faces that can't really show expression. I mean, they kind of sub- squashed all that. Yeah. Except Scarecrow, who seems to have this weird smile, permanent smile. He's and like I, the Joker. Well, <laughs> well, and then I start to go, well, is he also a resident of the facility where she's getting right. the shock treatment right. and just he's so happy because he's just been shocked to death and on so many drugs he doesn't know and then I start to just bring it to the real world and yeah. it's insane so I, I clicked on the trivia on IMDb for this movie oh yeah I'm yeah. gonna give you a, a fun fact and a terrifying one <laughs> 
the f- this is the first film to use the Walt Disney Pictures logo with the rainbow going over the blue castle, which oh. is interesting. Okay. Uh, and then a, gymna- a gymnast stood upside down with legs bent and backwards inside TikTok's body to make the legs move. Whoa. Yeah. I, I don't know who TikTok is, but it sounds horrible. Well, TikTok is the robot in her dream, but it's actually the shock machine that comes to life. So it is actually, if you if you look at the uh, shocking machine, or what what are they called? I'm, I'm yeah, uh, uh, electroshock therapy. Electroshock oh, Dr. therapy. Dr. Worley seems to be preparing Dorothy for electroconvulsive therapy. Yes, just so, to wipe her mind. And this is when you go... Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Annie M is taking her to this doctor to make yes. sure. And you're like, man, Annie M is a bitch. So this is... Fuck Annie M. She's going to mess up this kid. And that's the other thing that's messed up is is uh, Judy Garland's a lot older when she plays her. And now we have a Feruza Balk who is age appropriate. Yeah. So it looks even scarier because you're seeing a child left on their own. They're actually running away from the place when they when she goes to Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and she, she, relives, did all, she did all her own stunts. Faruka Balk. And she she had to relive every bad moment Dorothy went through in the first film. Yeah. So it is just like, okay, we're going to go through therapy here. <laughs> there, I mean, there is... it. Sorry, the, it's we're so off comics. Well, no, we are. But it's, I mean, the, I, I, I want to read a history of that late 70s, early 80s period of Disney. Po- Post-Walt. Because Black Cauldron, Black Cauldron, Black Hole, which is also on oh, Disney Plus, I watched that. and is very so dark. Good. Yeah, um, there's this, there's a lot of darkness in what they're doing. Yeah, and then you think like the revival is Little Mermaid, where and, and don't get me wrong, brilliant film. But they kind of rewrite the ship, you know, uh, back to this more kind of family friendly. I mean, oh my god, it just what like what is the rating of um, Return to Oz. Is it G or is it PG? I think it's PG. Is it? Do you have it up there? Uh, PG. Yeah, it's PG. It is PG. Okay. But PG in the 80s is way different than PG now. Yeah, I know. I know. Because, again, Gremlins was PG. Um, and they had to come up with PG-13 at some point in the in the 80s, too. because It was in the 80s. I forget what the first film was used PG-13. You know, it's weird because you uh, talking about the Apes movies earlier. So those are all rated G and have heavy violence. I mean, they're, yeah. they... they I think they categorize it. I find that so weird. Well, it's violence. They shoot a baby. They do. They shoot a they shoot a baby monkey with or a baby ape with a machine gun. Yeah, and then kill its parents, and that's the end of one movie. That's the that's the end of a movie. The end of a movie is basically Macbeth. It is like everyone's dead. Um, Shit! It it was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that was the first PG thirteen movie with the Kalima. Kalima. Kalima, which uh, is also isn't that a Planet of the Apes thing too? And the, oh, that's in the in the movie you guys don't like the Crystal Skull. No, no, the Marky Mark the and the Monkey Bunch. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Would you? Okay. Kali- now wait a minute. Now, uh, Clay's got a hot take on this. I have a hot take on this. <laughs> I watched a video. I, you know, there's a lot of uh, YouTubers that do great jobs, and Screen Crush is one of them. And they did a really good take on the Marky Mark. Uh, Planet of the Apes, which I'm not a fan of. I, I There's a few things I like about it. I like the art direction. I love the cast, except Marky Mark. Um, <laughs> that's a Tim Burton movie, right? That's it's a Tim, Tim Burton. Burton. So it's got what? Tim Roth. It's got... Tim Roth is awesome. Carter. 
Um, I watched um, a special feature this weekend that was all Michael Clark Duncan talking. Cool. Yeah, he 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 goes through his makeup, which is like nine hours, and wow. <laughs> and then. Uh, just talks about the movie and how excited he is, and it makes you miss that guy because yeah. that guy just loved being in movies yeah. and being that guy. And yeah, he's so fun. Kingpin, uh, was it John Coffey? Oh yeah, oh yeah, great roles. Um, but I, uh, the Planet of the Apes stuff, man. Oh I, no, no, I no. But your your hot take, uh, the Screen Crush that, video, that maybe it might be better than I remember. Maybe I'm bashing it because it isn't. It's so off from what the other movies are. It gives you some kind of social story, but it's very low-key. You get weird moments like monkey sex that you didn't want to know or ask about. Yeah. Uh, There's just, I mean, there's things that bring it down. And then that ending. I, if, if any human can tell me how that ending works. He does. Does he? He does because I, he I better explains the plot than anyone I have, I, and I go, "That's where I'm missing it." You're gonna have to send me the links I and will. maybe post it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll, I, we'll try to tweet. Because uh, I, I left that theater so angry. I was like, "That makes no effing sense." Like, what just happened? This this video does a pretty good job of kind of recorrecting the story and letting you know, like, All "Hey, right. maybe this or this, and this is how we get here." Does he refer to the novelization? Because I've heard the novelization better explains. The ending. Where did I? Oh, I, I read a book on all of the, uh, all of the Planet of the Apes, uh, all the Planet of the Apes films, but the novels based on them and spinning off of them. Why I read this book, I don't remember. Except it was Planet of the Apes related, and I wanted to read it. Well, uh, if, it was good. Yeah. If if there's anything out there, if if you're new to the to the Apes or just curious, uh, jump into the movies. They're great. Uh, I love the book. Um, and if you want to go, I think the first dive for any new fan of the Planet of the Apes is the Dana Gould book. Oh, it, it's oh, yeah. it's called Planet of the Apes: Visionaries, and what yeah, it is it's is on my wish list. it is it is amazing. The art's amazing. It takes the original script and the idea of what the book was, mm-hmm. and the first I think it's the first Rod Serling draft, okay. and it puts that together because when Serling actually breaks the story to where he gets it later, it changes the whole society. So this world we see is very similar to 1960s New York. Yeah. And uh, it's just got apes in suits and, a, and an astronaut that shows it's up. It's more like the third film, yes. honestly. Yeah. Um, I just hope that that ending came because somebody said to Tim Burton as a joke, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> and then he's like, yep. We got it. That's like, what it is. Someone draw that up. This is He's watching, that is gold. Yeah, I, w- I figured he was watching Wayne World, and he heard Abraham Lincoln. He goes, what about Ape? Ape. Yeah. <laughs> God. But it, just came, <laughs> it just came from a Secret pun. origins of Hollywood legends. Does, 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 uh, does iTunes or Apple Podcasts have not an explicit tag, but a, 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 a pun tag? I think we need that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll look into it. Okay, cool. Um, I will say we're recording this on, what, January 11th? And the last time I checked uh, on Fandango, I believe the oh, it's January twelfth. Oh, it is crap. Um, the Wait, uh, I lost all day. <laughs> the uh, Planet of the Apes Legacy box set uh, was digital for twenty bucks, which is how much I paid for the Blu-rays. Wow! So if you want to just jump in, that's the way to do it. Don't I mean, if you've seen just the first film, you're missing out. You got to get through the second film, which is not great. But the third, fourth, and fifth films are wonderful. I love all of them. Uh, you don't like Beneath the Planet of the Apes? It just—it's so. 
it's so over. I mean, okay, it's it's it, forced it, for one reason. Because it is forced. Charlton Heston didn't want to do a sequel, right? And, right. And basically, did everything he could to not let this sequel happen and not let a sequel happen after the movie. Yes, and then when you see the main actor playing it, there's at least, you'll spend a good 60 seconds thinking, is that Charlton Heston? Because he looks identical to Charlton Heston. Exactly. It, it's very clear they wrote that part for Charlton Heston and then they had to get some other guy. Yeah. But it just, it, it, it feels very forced and it, it does a good job, I think, of setting up the world, but that ending is such a letdown because it's like they do all this world building and they're like, and we're done. You know, yeah. so that's why I like three, four, and five because they're much more synchronous. They all tie together very carefully. Yeah, they do. Um, so, I mean, Conquest is really great in showing uh, the overthrow, but to see Zira and Cornelius, who you've yeah. known for a long time, yeah. uh, go through and enjoy Earth, like it's yeah. weird because you put them in this position where they're like celebrities. That return. Con- uh, that's Escape. 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 Sorry, thanks. Which has which. I love Escape for the early twist. Yeah, the the uh, the astronauts landing yes. and taking the helmets yep. off is really cool. Escape is great also because something we've noticed the those times we watch South Korean films, Escape feels like a South Korean film in that two thirds of it are kind of like fish out of water comedy, and the last third is like, oh my god, this is so depressing. You know, it's like when did this turn into a violent, you know. Um, Films. So. Well, let me let me bring it back to comics yeah, yeah, for a sorry, second. Sorry. Uh, I, had, I had a segue too, but you go ahead. With oh, I, I read uh, over the break Tarzan. Oh, then Tarzan. let me do mine before. <laughs> oh well, this is the Planet of the Apes tie-in. Oh, me too. That's all I was looking <laughs> at. <laughs> well, Tarzan, great minds take alike. So uh, Tarzan on Planet of the Apes is a book I read over the break that uh, I really enjoyed. It's David Walker who's done a couple of Planet of the Apes books, and he actually what he does is he ties. Tarzan into the mythology by having Zira and Cornelius when they try to head back in escape end up on uh, they end up on this planet with Tarzan oh and they raise Milo and Tarzan as brothers so it's almost like an alternate version of escape exactly interesting and so they raise them together and it's a great it, it what's weird is though is you have all this time travel and then you kind of have like the typical like you know uh, social conflict that you have to deal with within the story and then pretty much the end of the book is all this kind of weird time travel stuff that they're trying to sort out but it's fun because you go well, that's weird they'll never take on that and then they do huh. Five issues, uh, Dark Horse, uh, Tarzan on Planet of the Apes, really fun. Cool. So the one I found, and I already borrowed it from Comixology Unlimited, is Kong on the Planet of the Apes. Oh, I need to read that. The description is fantastic. (laughs) The damn dirty crossover event you demanded. (laughs) Following the events of Planet of the Apes 1968, Dr. Seas, Dr. Seas, and General Arsis lead a smog... It doesn't have two Dr. Sayers. I was so hoping it did. Uh, they lead a small group of soldiers to the Forbidden Zone. Uh, to their surprise, they discover a Kong. Now they must uh, venture to Skull Island with Cornelius and Zira to discover the truth, but they may not survive. And it's only eight issues. It's uh, available to borrow on Comixology Unlimited. And it looks fantastic. And spoiler alert, uh, in classic Rod Serling fashion, the Kong they discover is a dog toy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. <laughs> I, uh, I'm actually thinking, I've been looking for a Planet of the Apes tattoo, and oh. I, I was real close to getting a Simpsons Dr. Zayas. That would be cool. You you brought that up at uh, the the club, yeah. and it made me think of that beautiful... At the club? At, at the club. club. At the clubhouse. Um, <laughs> that beautiful Planet of the Apes poster that uh, Mondo released, where um, General... The, uh, Ursus, yeah, yeah. His cap is the uh, the jail. God, who drew that? It's a comic artist. Oh, really? Playing. Yeah. Oh, I, okay. Cause look that up. I wanted to buy it. Hang on, let's go, Mondo. I know, Sorry, I, I know. Like one of our first shows was about like uh, uh, licensed characters in comics, and I talked about a lot of Planet of the Apes. And there's so much more out now. I I may do a standalone uh, the way you're doing your yeah, new comics. Way. I may yeah. do one that just profiles all my Planet of the Apes collectibles. Yeah. Holy <laughs> crap! That's an amazing. Okay. Isn't, I I wanted to buy it, but Josh is going to tweet out the beneath yeah. the Planet of the Apes uh, poster. Oh, it found. is. It, they also use that for a co- comic book cover. Yeah. I oh, fo- did they? Yeah, because okay. I see it here. There, I follow one of the uh, cover artists on Planet of the Apes because I had to tell her. I said, "Your stuff is amazing." I'll pull out some of my issues and maybe tweet some of the best. The problem is, you followed her home. And <laughs> <laughs> she's like, and she's like, I've never even seen Planet of the Apes. Please, um, please only follow your the creators on Twitter. It's uh, it's Rivera. I, fr- I forget his first name. Pablo. Yeah, it's, Pablo it's the cover for Planet of the Apes Ursus Ur- miniseries. Yeah. From Boom Studio. But this yeah, yeah, this all again. yellow one is just beautiful. I just oh, yeah, and they it's different. and they and they and they they Mondo did their thing where they're like, I got the email like, all right, it goes on sale tomorrow at ten AM oh. and I'm like, I'm at work teaching class, so you mother Dark Horse Dark Horse also lost this license in? Because it's on Boom now. Yeah. Oh it is. Okay. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Okay. Well, man, poor Dark Horse, they have I hope they come up with and some new new uh, original stuff because they are they have the alien license and the predator license. They're doing mainly licenses and yeah. the the elf quest reprints and stuff like that. Yeah, but there's not a lot of original. Well, they they did that. They do they do have some. Are, are they doing Black Hammer? They are. Oh they, yeah, you know what? The Black Hammer universe is really expanding. I've got the, the first book. Dark I need to read it. We're gonna. Uh, yeah, we should. I think I've, I read volume one. I really enjoyed it. Uh, the the in 2019 there was a crossover between Black Hammer Justice League, uh, it's called Hammer of Dawn. Oh no, Hammer of Justice. Yeah, Hammer of Justice is what it's called. Okay. Uh, so it's a five issue miniseries written by uh, Jeff Lemire, and and I you know I I I like all those kinds of kinds of crossovers like that. Uh, I'm currently picking up Power Rangers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from Boom Studios and IDW. Uh, so like all that stuff, I'm a sucker for those crossovers where like two properties that have nothing to do with, you know, kind of like that Kong one. Like as soon as I saw that, I was like, yeah, I need to read that uh, because it's it's kind of like really fun fan fiction. Yeah. But it's made <laughs> by talented people. So yeah. like, <laughs> I, you know, it, <laughs> no slight to all you fan fiction writers. So, yeah. So Tumblr. if you write fan fiction, uh, you can reach directly out to Daniel at. Uh, Hey, at Clay underscore Harrison. <laughs> I I believe I believe J.J. Abrams writes fan fiction. So if you're a fan fiction writer, you're in the same category as J.J. Abrams. You can go to Reddit to read uh, all about that J.J. cut. No. <laughs> um, okay, let's get back to on topic. So we covered The Walking Dead, which you know, like we said, was ending. Uh, but let's just talk a little bit about 2019 and some of the other stuff that kind of jumped out at you, like just through throughout reading the. 
uh, the year, things that you maybe you didn't think you were going to enjoy, things you didn't know about, surprises, stuff like that. Or House of X has just been the biggest delight. Yeah. Yeah, that was going to be mine too, actually. I agree. I, I love going back. Those are the characters that got me into comics, and I, I really hate to say this. I can't find a story from when Claremont left to now of all the authors. I mean, I know Matt Fraction had a run, Karen Gillian. There's a lot of people who wrote X-Men during that run. I don't see any standout stories or anything that was really great during that time that makes me want to go read all of those. There were always kind of the same mini adventures. The the closest thing that I can remember um, enjoying kind of at that level, and I, I forget, I think it's, I believe it's Jason Aaron. Uh, it's, a, it's 42 issues, a series called Wolverine and the X-Men, mm-hmm. which happens after Avengers vs. X-Men, uh, well, in between, like, as soon as that's happening, uh, Wolverine and Cyclops split up the, gr- the group into two. Right. Where Wolverine... A bell. Wolverine goes to... Uh, he becomes the headmaster at the at the school. And then uh, Cyclops takes his... Uh, uh, he takes the other, you know, his faction to be kind of like the revolutionary mutants or whatever. Um let me see. Let me see if I can pull from where it's from. But I really enjoy that because I I think some of my favorite X Men stuff is like the kids in the school. Yeah. Like I've always found that fascinating, which is why I love Demon Bear Saga. It's why I love oh, the New yeah. Mutants yeah. stuff. It's why I love the the I think was it Gen X like that were the, the new the Graham Morrison uh, uh, characters. Gr- Gen X was Chris Bocciolo, Scott Lobdell. Okay. Originally, but didn't then oh, Morrison yeah. later yeah, do a Gen X? I'm sorry, not? I'm old. Oh no, no, no! I remember in the I first the, one. No, I had the same thought as you did, Clay. And then, and, but Daniel said Grant Morrison. I was like, did Morrison do a Gen X run? He no, he just did an X Men run. Uh man, I don't know. He changed. I don't know. Well, I'm thinking a lot of the Grant Morrison characters, like uh, oh yeah, like Herman Bob and uh, Husk and stuff, like people like that, which Quentin. are also featured in yeah Quinn, which they're kind of featured in the New Mutants book now on the. On the Ed Brisson story, not the Jonathan Hickman story of it. Yeah. Uh, but but this Wolverine and the X Men series, it was uh, it was written by Jason Aaron and then Jason Latour took over, uh, and it's just he's good too. It's so good. Like the kids at the school, uh, you meet one of my favorite characters. Well, two two of my favorite characters that are not even X Men. Uh, Gladiator's kid, kid Gladiator. <laughs> kid Gladiator. <laughs> uh, he comes to the school because his dad sends him to like learn about stuff. What if you had to be named after your dad and you were like, kid, dad's name? <laughs> yeah. And then also you get uh, Brood. Oh, I love who, Brood. Oh. He's a, so he is a, a mutant of the Brood, and his mutation is that he's not like a bloodthirsty connected to the high oh. Brood uh, or Broodling he, or whatever they He's just super called. smart. He's just super smart, super nice, and super sweet, and you're like, this dude is the best. He's and like Baby Yoda. But not cute at all. <laughs> yeah, scaly. Yeah, but I was agree. baby brood cute? Maybe, Maybe. possibly because I mean larva, the larva brood. <laughs> larva. He just swung around in a sack, putting his face up, <laughs> so yeah. you can see him through the God. translucent bag. Uh, all right, but back Waving. to back to 2019. Uh, I'll go with some of the more uh, popular series before diving deep. Uh, Venom by Donny Case has been. I finished Absolute Venom over the break. Um, Absolute Carnage. Absolute Carnage. I'm sorry. Um, Which the I think the the hardcover or the collected edition is about to come out this week, if I'm not mistaken. 
that's the first book. And it, not that I, I really rate this kind of way, but the art really dominated more than the story oh, for me. Stegman is yeah. he's on another level of he, like this took him for me to to another level yeah. as an artist. Like yeah. I could see stuff he did incredible splash pages, stuff we'd never seen. Um I mean, just some of the character creation and designs. And it, it's so detailed, too. Like, there's yeah. so much. Like, if you ever look at it, if you follow him on Instagram or Twitter, like, he'll put out pencils before, like, the inks and colors are done. And it, it there's so much on it. Like, it's it's crazy. It's not even a, a, a breakdown. It is, like, a finished pencil. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing that I really enjoyed in 2019... Uh, Gideon Falls, I think we've all kind of oh, been Oh, yeah. so good. So it just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. I, I had to stop buying single issues because it just reads better as a trade. Yeah, no, it does. Same. Okay. Same. I, I just yeah. it was I always hate pitching that because then you pull people off of singles. Well, and, and, I, and I say that, and I've exclusively read the singles, yeah. but I kind of... I, I tend to not read them when they come out, so I tend to build up like three issues and then I just read them yeah, all in one night. Thing. So I mean, I'm effectively reading it as like a little mini series each time. And so. That's how I read most of my comics, even though I'm picking up singles. Like I'm reading them as the trade would have them. Right. Yeah. Um, another thing that I read that was kind of a surprise um, I discovered in 2019 was Ice Cream Man. Uh, it's kind of like By a Van Halen. It's one of my no, favorite no, no. songs. <laughs> Uh, no, Ice Cream Man is kind of like, <laughs> it's an anthology slash overarching story. Uh, I think it's put out by, who's it from? Image Comics? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've seen it in my shop. Written by W. Maxwell Prince uh, with pencils by Martin Morasso. Uh, so it's kind of like, it's very Twilight Zone because there's a lot of weird shit happening. Uh, but it's just so good. And, and the, the way that, Maxwell Prince is able to tell a story using the comic book medium. There's a there's an issue that it's called. Uh, it, these are all the titles are kind of ice cream man, ice cream pun related. It's called uh, Napolitan, and you get once it starts a one story and then it branches up into three different stories because Napolitan is the three different flavors of ice cream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's some That's of the awesome. m- most interesting comic book. Like, this is stuff you can only do in comic books. Uh, and then there's an issue that you can read it forwards and backwards, I believe. Oh, wow. I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, but that's it's on volume four, oh, which, wow, that which, which I haven't read it. Who wrote it? W. Maxwell Prince. Yeah, and it's it's so good. If you want to check it out, it's on Hoopla on your library app. You can probably borrow it there. There's four issues, uh, four volumes there. Which each volume is only four issues, which is a pretty easy read. Yeah. Um, but it was just such a big surprise for 2019. Like I'm so glad I stumbled onto that book. Um, what else here? And I'm just kind of looking through my Goodreads. The longest book I read was thanks to Josh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the hunt, the hunting accident, a true story. How many pages was that? A uh, four hundred and sixty-four. But wait a minute, we also read ElfQuest. No, but well, that, that was twenty twenty. Oh, was, yeah, we okay. just read that last also, week. Also, I haven't finished that volume of ElfQuest. <laughs> I, I I got done with it right after the the meeting, and it was so good. Yeah, just so good. Uh, oh, we, we read uh, Old Man Hawkeye in 2019, I think, as a group. We all read that. Yeah, we did. Overall, yeah. I think we enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Old Man Quail should be finishing up soon, so maybe we can pick up, like, maybe do a... An Those are all Ethan Sachs, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I dig him. Um, Immortal Hulk. Al Ewing. It's so good. 
Like, if you're not reading Immortal Hulk, like... I have the first volume. I haven't had time to sit and read. You just really should. It's one of those where I have my digital and physical, and I always go, oh, yeah, I have digital. Where are my books there in front of me? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Is there anything you guys are reading in 2019 or you can remember? Yeah, so I've I've got a weird... Well, Clay stole mine. Um, (laughs) Hox Pox was, was just amazing i mean like i said in the show i had not read a x-men book in 20 years and it just it was just so good it it was to comics this is a weird hot take it was to comics what watchmen was to tv i went in with very low expectations for something that i frankly thought shouldn't be made and it turned out to be brilliant and wildly enjoyable so favorite part of hawk's it would have to be the Mora issue, mm. which is still pretty early. X2. Number two, yeah, but yeah. but the way that it it threads throughout the book, yeah. um, so not just that issue, but the way that it kind of interlinks everything, but just the fact that that's her mutant power, I yeah. think it's just so phenomenally brilliant um, and scary. Yeah, like. so so that was one. But as I'm going back through my my list on comicsology here and um, it, it doesn't have to be like it didn't have to come out in 2019 maybe just something you oh yeah no i've got i've got old crap in here too um i will say i continue i i love the first miniseries and i continue to enjoy the second rick and morty versus dungeons and dragons is just and this this current series doesn't which is what painscape yeah it doesn't have rothfuss co-writing it it's just zub but they, he has this ability to not only nail what makes Rick and Morty so good, but what makes Dungeons and Dragons so good. And so the the crux of the current series, slight spoiler, but it, it comes up early, is that uh, Rick gets sucked into <laughs> an unfinished campaign that he had made when he was in college. So the running joke is he walks around and these like robotic people are like, would you like to buy some boots? Insert name here. You know, it's like, and it just, it's, it's so, it's so much fun. And he just, he knows how to nail both of those things and, and combine them brilliantly. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great book. Um, Every DM has a game that they've not completed. (laughs) Yes. It's so good. So I've been enjoying that. And then I weirdly, I really liked Marvel comics 1000. I thought Ewing did a great job with, that could have been such a throwaway book. It, I mean, it could have just been here's some nice art highlights. Yeah, and instead it <sighs> One was page this from this guy and that guy. Really nope. compelling history. Yeah, with a with a nice story, kind of thread thread thread. I haven't picked up the second issue. I did. Is it worth yeah, it? It's all right. Okay. Does it resolve anything? Or yeah, it's all right. It, okay. It's setting up stuff for another yeah. another ten dollar book that. We got uh, a few weeks ago called Incoming, which is kind of like a preview of everything that's going to happen. And they're I'm, all wearing I'm, the mask. Uh, I'm liking it less now. but So just read uh, Marvel Comics 1000. Yeah, I mean, it's a hype machine, but, you know, I, I kind of see these books going back to the way Marvel used to do books where you would get, like, this kind of preview. Right. And that book would be $100 in about uh, a year because it's got the first appearance of, like, all these characters yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, It seems like they're going for that kind of collector market again of, mm-hmm. like, hey, we're going to put st- these stories out, and they may not necessarily be a number one where they show up, but I've seen, like, the, the Gwen books, uh, you know, pick up in price. Oh. Um, I, 
I see the fun of it, uh, the fun of collecting again. Because yeah. you see a number one issue up there, and yeah, it's five bucks. It'll be five bucks, and it'll be in a quarter bin later. Yep. Now you're seeing books that come out that you go, oh, this is the first appearance of this, or yep. having things that collectors want to buy. Right, right. But there are not that many of us left. <laughs> I mean, there's not really. I, I mean, don't know. I see Daniel's <laughs> pull, pull list videos every week, and it's uh, uh, Craven's taking us out each one one at a time. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I mean, I was at the the uh, Zeus quarter sale, and yeah, me too. It was it was great. Hardly anybody came in when oh, I was really? there. Oh, really? When I yeah. was there, there was guys with, like, boxes. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, they then were there must have been a lot taken, because yeah. when I got there, it was that Sunday. Okay, no, because I went on Friday when it, when they, I think they announced it on Thursday to start on Friday, and I went right after work, and yeah, no, there was, I even ran into a buddy of mine, and we, like, yeah, there was people with, like, short boxes leaving the uh, okay. store. Yeah, because I, I spent about 27 bucks on books. Yeah, no, I heard somebody spend, like. that's like 200 bucks. <laughs> There are, I, Clay just smiles at me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I look at it like this. Good math. Like, <laughs> thanks, thanks. Like, I, I go through, and, like, I got a bunch of Planet of the Apes books, yeah. you know, so I get new covers and stuff, and those books are typically, like, five bucks, and it's, like, I get a quarter, and I get some nice art. Yeah. And if I can put all the variants together, yeah, that's that always is fun. And if yeah. I get a recent Marvel book, I still get the digital code for 25 cents. Most of them were like that. Yeah. Well, but so he, they had a lot of Valiant, a the, lot of uh, a lot of Ninjak number lot, one, Ninjak. a lot of Ninjak. Ninjak was everywhere. Which, oh, sorry, not Ninjak, Ninja K. Uh, that was the name of the. They changed the title. Oh, for that. stop that! It's Ninjak. It's nin- I, I, well, I, no, I was working is, in the nineties. It it's Ninjak. It is Ninjak, but this book was called Ninja K because they retconned the story into including Ninja A, Ninja B. Screw those guys! It's Ninjak. I really enjoy that story though. Um, We're gonna change the name, like. Oh. The one like that's going to matter to right, that one right, guy right. who goes, oh, look what they did in Ninjak. The, <laughs> the one thing that really, really, um, it just kind of made me think, like, I need to stop buying these $10 books. Um, because at the quarter sale, I saw DC's uh, Event Leviathan Rising, the no. the, pre- the preview to uh, Event Leviathan, and it was $10 when it came out, and it was quarter. $0.25. Cents. Yikes. And I'm like, God, that's what not even a loss. Is that that's not even a penny per page, <laughs> because the book had like 80 pages or something. Yeah, wow, I mean, really, yeah. when you get down to it, event books should never. I mean, I bought all the War of the Realms. I that was one of my experiments last year, and I loved it. I had a great time reading it week to week, but then it got to the point where it kind of backlogged. Yeah, but yeah, event books are kind of best bought, I think, in hardback form. Yeah. I think I think Marvel sh- Mar- really any publisher should say, hey, we're going to put out this like major event book. Uh, if you want to buy the hardback, put your money down and we'll give you digitals. Yeah. Until then. Josh, did you ever read War of the Realms? It is literally in his in progress. <laughs> uh, I think I've read the first page, and then because I, we we owe we are listeners a War of the Realms issue. Yeah, episode. yeah, no, it is it is the next thing I will read, uh, but, uh, and then followed shortly by Bad Weekend. Um, but, oh, uh, so ready for Bad Weekend? Yeah, that's I'm our a, next book. Uh, I'm a statistics guy, and I'm just looking here on Goodreads because I like to keep track of my stuff. So the highest rated book I read last year was Saga Volume One. Oh, sorry, Volume Nine. Which is the latest I was of like, Saga? You only read volume no. one. I, I read Saga when the trade comes out, and now I have to wait years until it comes back. Yeah. Which apparently we're only at the halfway point of the story. Yes. Yeah. They 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 took their year hiatus at yeah. the halfway point so. uh, because he said they planned out all the issues and they were at issue was it fifty? Yeah. 
So it's going to be like a hundred issues. Which series. it's fine. I'm I'm okay with waiting. It's <coughs> it's so worth it. And it is. The most popular book I read was, uh, it was a man. It's manga actually. It's Tokyo Ghoul number uh, volume one, which seventy four thousand people also read in twenty nineteen. Are, you are these comicsology ratings? It's uh, no, it's on on Goodreads. It gives you like yeah. Oh, I'm trying to I'm trying to find my actually. It aggregates. Um, <laughs> I need to do better of keeping up with Goodreads. I am obsessed with it now. Every year I set uh, this is how many books I'm going to read, and then I track it all year. It it just helps me keep track of stuff I've read, so I don't like borrow the same thing from uh, Hoopla or Comicsology, and which oh, there we go. Comicsology is not such a big deal, but I don't want to like waste a Hoopla borrow. Yeah. Right, um, right, right. Or uh, God forbid get on the wait list and yeah. And then for some reason I have the least popular book was Phoenix the Untold Story, which is like a one shot that Chris Claremont wrote with his original ending to the Phoenix the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah. Only myself and sixteen other people read that in twenty nineteen. Which is interesting that sixteen people <laughs> still read it. <laughs> because that book came out in like early 90s or I think 2000s is when they finally let them release it mm-hmm. um, none of my stats involve comics because usually of all the books I read half of them are not comics and, and like long, half are yeah the longer ones are going to be comic, I, I mean, I, not comics I am going to commit to reading a valiant book I'm is going it Ninjack? To, no <laughs> it's Nin no can I, can I recommend two of them to you that I read that are valiant books what one is called Savage. It's a standalone graphic novel. I mean, it was a miniseries, but it's called Savage. It's Tarzan-like, kind of. Uh, it's I, I really enjoyed it. And then the other one, which that one's more involved in the Valiant universe, but it also works as a standalone story. It's okay. called Secret Weapons. Mm-hmm. And those Never are just two. They're very interesting books. They have nothing to do with any of the like main Valiant characters. Secret Weapons is kind of like if you took all the mutants that had the most useless powers and then they had to do something like they had to save (laughs) (laughs) gold ball (laughs) he's very important now very important now and he changed his name but i don't remember what is it what's it it's uh gold testicle no i hope not (laughs) uh yeah damn i don't remember his uh his new name oh he didn't want to stay with gold ball no, I guess not. I guess uh, Bendis is in DC now, so they got to get rid of his his creations. I, I'm gonna check out Bloodshot. Uh, oh, because the film's coming. Because <coughs> the film's coming yeah. out. Um, I asked Richard. I said, "Hey, at Zeus, I said, hey, what is the definitive Bloodshot story? I mean, who wrote the? I know Jeff Lemire has one. And that's what I said. I said really? Jeff Lemire wrote Bloodshot, and so maybe that's it. And he goes, he goes, I have a guy who comes in and buys a ton of Valiant books, and he goes. I, I, he's never laid down like one that's like this is the Bible of, viol- of, of valiant books. Hmm. So I got Bloodshot Reborn. I'm gonna check it out and hope. Hopefully, it's supposed to be like one of the better stories. Yeah, I, I I'll let you know because I I know somebody that reads a lot of valiant books. I'll ask them. And that's the Jeff Lemire one, yeah. Yeah, and then one of the oh one of the highlights of 2019 too, and this is probably the last one I'll talk about. DC comic, oh Detective Comics 1000. I still need to get it. I can't. It was just. To. It was so much fun. I made a whole day out of it. Like, I took the day off of work. I went to the store bright and early. Picked up all the variants I could find, and then I drove around DFW, like just going to shops, see what other variants they might have. Uh, I bought a bunch of them online, 
And then I just went, I had lunch, and I sat there, and I read the book. And I, like, I was kind of live-tweeting after every story. Mm -hmm. It was just, it it was so good. I I love it. It was, uh, you know, it was all about Batman and the Bat family, so, and a celebration of uh, the stories. Um, Kevin Smith's story was one of my favorites. Oh. Uh, And I haven't read much of Kevin Smith's comic book work, but you could tell he just, like, he loves Batman. I mean, obviously, he started a podcast just about Batman, (laughs) so... Um, he got there before I did. Uh, <laughs> his his best though, I love Guardian Devil. Guardian Devil, I never read his Batman stuff, and I even heard him kind of goof on his Batman stuff. Well, I mean, a lot of people. When he did Green Arrow too, right? His Green Arrow stuff's really good, but for some reason, his Daredevil, I put above Frank Miller's. Really? And he gives a lot of credit to Joe Quesada on that mm. because he said that. Joe was really the director of that of that book, yeah. right? He would he gave him the story and then Joe kind of brought it to life and then I mean, you know, I don't know if they Marvel did style. that. Yeah, I guess they did that yeah. Marvel style, so definitely the artist gets a lot of that. I don't think they I don't know that they do Marvel method much. It doesn't feel like they I would. don't think they do much anymore, but it'd be intriguing if they did do it that I method. think there are a couple. For some reason, I thought I read <clears throat> recently of someone explaining why a story turned out because they did it the Marvel way. Oh, huh. yeah. At the next convention I go to, either the North Texas Comic Show or uh, maybe there's a Dallas Comic Show soon, I'll probably ask some of the writers, like, do you guys still do the Marvel method? Because I know there's some Marvel writers that are coming, so I think that'd be interesting to find out. Tell me what they say. I would love to know. Because, yeah. and, and if not, is that because of a, is that like a Marvel mandate, or is that something that they give the writers a choice to work on? Uh, so, all right. Uh, do you guys have any other 2019 highlights? If not, I think this is a good place to kind of. I episode. wanted. I, I, I wish I had thought about it because I would have loved to pull some covers from last year. Oh yeah. Let's uh let's pull some covers and maybe we'll tweet some from the next yeah, issue account. Yeah. I definitely want to do a, an artist spotlight kind of episode sometime soon, um, just because like we talked about earlier, the artists like you know they they work really hard. They they put in a lot of their effort and I think yeah Hickman. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just give them two days. <laughs> And even if you if you only give him two days and that's what he came up with, holy shit! Yeah, yeah. Like Rod Reese right now, it's one of my he's one of my favorite artists. The New Mutants book is it's beautiful. It I is. wish it had no words. Yeah, I mean, I, no, I, it's not like to Hickman. I just want to see those pages without any any bubbles. I think that is. We need to talk afterwards because what your idea about viewing the page with no bubbles may tie into the paper I'm writing for the summer's conference. Okay, because so. sometimes when I'm sharing art, there's some panels that are pretty easy to, for me to, like, take them off, yeah. uh, like, on the on, on my iPad, um, because I just want to see what they would look like. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's not just because, you know, I don't have the tools or, or knowledge or expertise <laughs> or talent <laughs> to do so gracefully. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, I think it would be a really cool feature. Um, but I don't know, maybe if the listeners want to let us know what they would think about that. That'd be uh, interesting. Yeah, I would. I would like to hear that. Actually, like a, a poll. Uh, maybe we'll hit that up on Twitter. Yep. And if you're wondering what some of the the community's best of 2019 items are, you can go back and listen to our previous episode, where we actually sent out a, a small survey. Adrian, Adrian put together oh, for the. That's right. Uh, we shared it with our local community here of uh, comic book people, and they kind of voted on stuff. 
there was a controversial pick at the end, but <laughs> uh, you know, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, uh, do you guys have anything else before we? There's no recommendations this time around, just because we kind of gave a bunch of recommendations all throughout the show. Yeah. Oh, I do. I do have a cover. I I remember sure. last year because I actually tweeted at Aaron Cooter for this because his I love the covers he does, and he did one for War of the Realms, which is Captain America, Iron Fist, and Spider Man uh, uh, next to a decapitated giant's head. And it's just so War of the Realms because they're, they, they have a little bit of, uh, uh, I guess, kind of armor looking on them and and a giant decapitated head. <laughs> oh, there it there is. There it is, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so yeah, uh, that, that may be one of my favorite ones because I actually bought that one just a frame. So yeah. it's the War of the Realms 4 uh, Young Guns, Young Guns cover, cover. And I like that for these covers, they take all the... They just leave the art, and then yeah. they have the artist's name, really. Yeah, but they take awesome. out all the like the title of the book and all that stuff. So, I'll, I'll save the picture. We can tweet it out later. Yeah, him, uh, Mike did, Del did Mundo rep- did yeah. so much great work on uh, War of the Realms. Jacques had a fantastic Joker cover for the the Year uh, of the Villain one shot that I'm still trying to find without having to pay. You know. <laughs> How much? How much are you willing to pay? Uh, I mean, I would like to get it for like cover. $10, which was cover price. <laughs> uh, well, th- this is super nerdy, but... Uh, in this podcast? I know. <laughs> but, the, but the other 2019 rack, uh, or you know, thing that I loved was the end of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And speaking of covers, what's great about those is every issue is a pastiche of famous British comic covers. Yeah. So if you just if you just go online and look at the cover for each issue, it goes through the history of British comics in the same way that that storyline does to a certain degree. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So like the very last one is you know 2000 AD essentially. Um, it's yeah, it's cool. It's mm-hmm. cool. Uh, I think the third one is um, the Eagle, which featured Dan Dare. Uh, anyway, it's it's neat. We'll we'll post those. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Yeah, I see the. Yep, there it is. Yeah, 2010 AD. That's so cool. <laughs> I like that. I hadn't noticed that. That's interesting. Um, okay, well, yeah, that'll that'll do it for this one. So thank you guys, um, and we'll just tweet out some of that stuff. Uh, if you're listening to this, let us know what you want to hear for us from in 2020, and uh, thank you for joining us. Bye. Thanks for joining us. You can find Next Issue at uh, on Twitter at Next Issue Pod on Twitch at Next Issue, and on Facebook at Next Issue Podcast. You can find Clay on Twitter at Clay underscore Harrison, Kyle at Kylepedia, Adrian at Adrian underscore Harry, Daniel at Echo Spider, and Josh at Cosmosis. Hail Bebo.